We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to finish my three-part series, three successive episodes on a time for truth and what happens to a country and a culture when they abandon the very concept, the very idea, the reality of truth as their objective standard for debate and argument for politics and for policy. What happens to a people when they do this? I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's rebellion. I'm going to start out today's show with the apology that I've issued the last couple days, and that is, I have a head cold, I have a chest cold, and therefore I have a growly voice. And I say this with a smile on my face and a wink in my eye. No, you cannot catch COVID by listening to someone on a podcast or via the radio. I'm sure somebody out there will scold me for going on the air because you've got COVID and you're not masking. You're not social distancing. You're on the radio. You're doing a podcast. That's how asinine and stupid our culture has become. We've actually bought these ridiculous lies. And that's one of the consequences of abandoning truth. That's, that's the obvious before our eyes as we discuss this topic of a time for truth and what happens to a country and a culture when they say it doesn't exist. You start believing anything and trusting no one. When that happens, that's why nobody believes Anthony Fauci, or at least 50% of the American people don't. The other 50% follow him like blind, stupid lemmings just because he says jump, they jump. They don't even ask good questions any longer. And if someone around them does, then they ridicule and criticize that someone rather than saying, hmm, Dr. Fauci, could you answer that question? That's the nature of politics today. And when you politicize medicine, medicine fails. Because medicine is now in the pursuit of power. Its ultimate purpose is power rather than curing people. Uh, Fauci talks about science when really science isn't the issue any longer. Because we know that. He isn't even open to questions when somebody asks him a good question like Senator Rand Paul. He gets angry. He doesn't respond by wanting to have a good debate. I don't think the guy's been trained in the, in the principles of debate. I'm not even sure if he knows how to do so. What did he resort to when he was talking with Rand Paul and Rand Paul with him? He resorted to name-calling and anger. He said, Senator, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, excuse me, but Senator Paul has a medical de- degree too, and he's not He's no stupid person. I think he has the right to ask questions about stuff like, you know, natural immunity. I was with a medical doctor friend of mine here in Oklahoma yesterday. We were having lunch together, unmasked, I might add. And he has the exact same medical background as Fauci. His background is um, allergies, immunology, viruses, 
So he understands airborne pathogens and how they're transferred from one thing to another, one person to another, and how people acquire diseases as the result of them. He's not a fan of Fauci because he says Fauci is more interested in political power right now than he is in pursuing the facts of science. So this is where we are as a culture when it comes to responding to something as simple as a disease, as a virus. We aren't listening to the truth any longer. We're virus-shaming people. We're virtue-signaling people by wearing masks that we don't, we know don't work. I was with um, some folks in a restaurant the other day, and I, I, I witnessed uh, some people walking in with masks. They walk, literally, I'm not exaggerating, they walk maybe four or five steps across the room with a mask on, and then they put, take their mask off. Well, what sense did it make to wear the mask to wear the mask into the room in the first place? There's no scientific basis for that. Why would you wear the mask into the room in the first place if you're going to sit down in the room and then take the mask off? There was no scientific, medical, physiological, biological, virological reason to wear that mask for those four or five steps as you entered the room other than to virtue signal, to say, we are the good ones, we're wearing masks, while all of the rest of you sitting in this room are not. But then you sit down and take the mask off with the rest of us. This, this stuff is crazy. It makes no sense. And the irony is it's people like you and me who are raising our hand and saying, wait a second, what purpose was the mask when you walked into the room? First of all, there are tons of studies out there that say it doesn't work, um, especially your cloth masks that you wear all the time have essentially no value whatsoever. They're, the science, if you want to talk about science, the science says that those masks have almost zero effectiveness. But now you're turning around and wearing them for four or five steps as you walk in front of people in a restaurant, and then you take them off as you sit down in front of the same people in that restaurant, breathing the same air in that restaurant, participating in the same exchange of airborne pathogens in that restaurant. It makes no sense. There's no scientific basis for this. So this is one of the consequences of abandoning truth. I've talked to you about that in the last couple episodes. Well, today I'm going to share with you a couple more obvious consequences, obvious results of stepping away from truth as the mitigating, the mitigating variable in human existence. The, the, the judge, the jury, the referee, the umpire, the conductor, the person, the thing, the objective standard, like I've said, that stands on the sideline of the game and blows the whistle when the players are right or wrong. When we abandon that, we lose the capacity to even engage, engage in, excuse me, the debate, um, the narrative, the politics, the ecclesiology. We lose the ability to be human and we have to be controlled because we're acting like animals. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I end my apology. 
I'm growling. I have a cold. That may be all it is because I'm not going to go get tested. You know why? What difference does it make? What difference does it make? I have a cold. I have sinus congestion. I have a cough. I have chest congestion. I don't need to go to the hospital. I don't feel that severe. So what difference does it make whether I've got virus A or virus B? I don't frankly care. And I certainly am not going to get into the business of being forced to report out to everybody else that I've got version A, B, or C of my cold. I'm not going to do it. Because by giving away that much freedom and letting somebody else assume that much power in concurrence with that giveaway is going to result in a very ugly country. So I apologize to you today for the quality of my voice. But I don't apologize to you for being on this show and saying what I'm saying because the point here is, is this. In times of universal deceit, deception, lies, obfuscation, in times of universal lies, universal deceit, the only thing left for us to do is speak the truth. Truth is the only rebellion left. That's why I have the tagline to this show. So we're going to take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to share a couple more obvious consequences of this worldview that we've embraced, this new religion of Fauciism, of scientism, of subjectivism, of progressivism. It's all the same thing of critical theory, all the same thing. I'm going to share with you a couple more consequences of worshiping in that church at that altar as opposed to the one that was given to us by our founding fathers and by the apostles and Christ himself. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. So welcome back to The Rebellion. Um, Again, if you'd like to join The Rebellion, subscribe to The Rebellion, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper, D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. If you do so, I'll send you a signed copy um, of my first book that was titled Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. If you subscribe at $20 or more per month through patreon.com, backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. I will send you a signed copy of Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. And also, if you subscribe at that level and want me to speak at your church, your political event, or whatnot, anything, I will give you a substantial discount on my speaking fees to do so. So enough of that uh, self-promotion. Sorry for that. But I need to do it once in a while because that's the way we keep the light bills on. And without that, we probably wouldn't keep doing this. I don't do this just to listen to myself talk, folks. A little bit more work (laughs) involved in doing it um, than to just do it for that kind of narcissistic benefit. All right. So yesterday I spent some time actually playing off of why I'm a liberal and other conservative ideas by suggesting that the very basis of liberalism... Classical liberalism is truth, because the truth sets us free. I played off of C.S. Lewis's great divorce. I played off of his abolition of man. I played off a lot of C.S. Lewis's argument for truth. I also quoted Os Guinness, um, that truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. 
C.S. Lewis's argument that we have removed the organ from our culture, from the men and women that we have reared, from our progeny. We've removed the organ, and then we turn around and demand the function, his language. He uh, uses a graphic metaphor to explain that. It says, if we've gelded the stallion and bid him be fruitful, which would be lunacy, obviously, uh, or even a more graphic illustration where he says, we've created men without chests. We've basically cut out people's hearts. Heart here being the metaphor for the center, the soul, the identity of the human being, the morality, the moral compass of who we are, that part of us that understands natural law and law that is natural, common sense and sense that's common, that part of us that the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, refers to when he says that the truth of God is printed on every human heart. So that's what I spent time doing yesterday. And I also shared with you a couple consequences of what happens um, when you abandon that truth. I shared with you a response that I had to a critic where he said that, uh, you know, the problem here is, is that when you guys, you conservatives, Christians, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, argue for objective, absolute truth, you're being arrogant. Uh, you always think you're right, and, and you're the real enemies of truth because of your constant drumbeat of absolutes against those. Essentially, you're, you're marching against those of us who contest um, the constructs of you powerful, privileged people who want to impose your, your truths upon all the rest of us. You guys are the enemies of society because you're arrogant. It's basically the argument of critical race theory and white privilege. Excuse me. Well, I responded to that person, as you know. I shared a portion of that response with you yesterday, but I want to go a little deeper into it today. Um, he's, when he says this, that we're the real enemies of truth, um, that conservatives, argue, arguers, proponents of objective truths are arrogant, and the real enemies here of truth, um, because we argue for absolutes rather than the uh, constructs of culture. <sighs> There's an obvious question. All right, you just have to, sometimes you just cut through the crap with these people. The obvious question that this guy should consider is this. Isn't he being a little arrogant in making his claim? In other words, isn't he arguing for his own absolute in making his own claim? Doesn't his own logic assume that there's some objective standard of measurement to condemn me for what I said? Otherwise, how can he condemn me? He has to be able to say, you're wrong and I'm right. So on what basis is he doing that? He's making an objective, absolute claim in refuting me. He's saying, you're arrogant. I'm not. He's saying that arrogance is wrong. And you're the one who's wrong because you're arrogant. These are both objectively um, grounded claims. They're claims of absolute measurements. You get what I'm saying here? The presupposition of his argument is that he's absolutely right in believing that absolutists are absolutely wrong for believing in absolutes. That's what he just said. And, and if you feel dizzy, you should, because you're watching a dog chase its tail. This is hilarious. So that's what you need to do when you're confronted with this type of stuff, is just point out the obvious, that 
You're, at, you're arguing that you're absolutely right in believing that I am absolutely wrong for believing in absolutes. Now tell me how that works. And then just shut up and listen. Do the Jesus style of apologetics thing. Ask the rhetorical question, the obvious question that exposes the lie of his worldview. And then just watch. Because there's no way out of this other than hopefully for him to recognize his heir and drop his stones and walk away rather than continue to throw his stones and commit murder to play off of the story of the woman caught in prostitution and what Jesus said to those prepared to stone her. He said, which one of you, which one of you is without sin? Throw it, throw the stone. And then he shut up and he watched. Now, there's also another thing here. I've got to comment a little bit on this implicit confidence that he has in his position when he says, the problem with you conservatives is that you always think you're right. Again, it's the same thing, but I have to point it out. Again, the problem with conservatives is they always think they're right. Now, I don't begrudge this critic the strength of his conviction. I don't, no, no. In fact, I want to applaud the strength, the tenacity, the depth of his conviction. Um, in fact, any argument, I've made this point before on the show, any argument would have little value. It wouldn't have any authority, any energy, or any weight, or any purpose if it didn't presuppose that it was accurate, that the arguer was right and the opponent was wrong. Isn't that the point of disagreement? So the, the degree of accuracy is the issue here. Which one is right and which one is wrong? I don't begrudge him the strength, the energy behind disagreeing with me. What I begrudge is his lack of honesty and candor in the way he does it. I, I kind of admire his backbone. He comes out and says, I don't like what you're saying. I disagree with you. Well, good. We need more of that today. We need more Rand Pauls that'll look the Fauci's in the eye and say, I don't like what you're saying. I disagree with you. But there's a problem embedded just under the surface of his self-assurance. Fauci's self-assurance in a way. Because here again, here again's the issue. His passion to expose the wrongness of someone else's thinking, i.e. conservatives in this case, it cannot stand his passion his tenacity, his confidence cannot stand unless the rightness of his argument prevails. So there has to be a right and there has to be a wrong. Otherwise, his aggression in attacking me, Fauci's aggression in saying, Rand Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. It can't stand unless there's an objective standard of truth to measure that and to judge that. In other words, in other words, here's what I... Maybe I explain it this way. He's basically saying that he's right in criticizing anyone who thinks there's right. If, 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 if my position is just tossed out, and he says, no, I disagree with all of your premises, then he has to come down to this self-refuting claim that he's right for criticizing me for thinking that I'm right. And by default, he then joins the ranks of those he's accusing, me. So... He can't, he, again, it's self-refuting, it's circular. It's a dog chasing its tail. It doesn't make any sense. And the only other thing available to him logically would be for him to say that he's wrong in condemning me for thinking that I'm right. But that doesn't appear to be what he wants to do. Otherwise, 
Why is he arguing with me? Do you get my point here? So I guess my last word on this issue of absolute truth is this. If, if truth, if absolute truth is nothing but, um, how would we say it, um, a personal illusion, or in the inference of this guy who's criticizing me, uh, misplaced arrogance, then if that's where we are as a culture, then all ideas, all values, all ideas, whether they be about sexual morality, whether they be about economics, whether they be about child rearing, whether they be about um, male and female identity, whether they be about the science of dealing with airborne pathogens and virology. If all ideas, if all ideas about these things um, are going to be pursued from here on out by abandoning the absolute truth as the measuring rod of those, of, of those ideas, then all of the values and the behaviors and the decisions we make from those ideas are going to be nothing but, nothing but, now listen to this, nothing but the product of anthropological constructs. In other words, the constructs of man, anthropology. All of the conclusions that we draw from these ideas, if we chuck absolute truth out the window, all of the conclusions and all the decisions and all the behaviors that follow thereafter are going to be nothing but the constructs of man, anthropological constructs. And therefore, it really won't matter what a person believes. What, what this guy believes or what I believe or you, or it won't matter what anybody believes. All that will matter is political and social power. That'll be the base. That'll be the base. That's all that's left. Is this guy okay with that? That power, politics will decide all. Not science. Not science. It'll be power and politics. Because he's the one that's saying that absolute truth isn't, isn't real. That reality isn't real. He's the one that's saying we can't have a logical scientific discussion about climate change any longer. He's the one that's saying we can't even discuss the biological facts of male and female any longer. He's the one that says we can't go back and track the objective facts and truths related to one political system, socialism, communism, versus another one, capitalism and free enterprise. He's the one that's saying, oh, none of, there, there are no truths in any of those, in any of those arenas, because it's all just a construct of power. People, this is what critical race theory is grounded in. It's grounded in neo-Marxism, and neo-Marxism abandons any objective standard of truth because it kills God. Neo-Marxism says that God is the opiate of the masses, that there is no God. Religion is just a joke. It just is an opiate. It's a drug that makes the masses, the people, the unwashed uh, rubes, you know, those people in the heartlands. It, it's just the drug that makes us feel better about the meaninglessness of our existence. That's what critical race theory is based on. That's why you see them being so self-contradictory, where they say racism is bad, but we are going to be racist in overcoming racism. And they're actually saying it. They're admitting it. That's what happens when you kill God. Um, one of the books I want to discuss on this show in the coming days and weeks is The Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. Again, that's his dystopian novel. George Orwell actually gave it a positive review when it was originally published back in the 1940s. Um, it's, it's, it plays off of, The Hideous Strength is actually the novel version of 
of C.S. Lewis's talk that was converted to a book called The, the um, Abolition of Man. And I've talked about that book repeatedly on this show. So one of the things I'm going to talk about is the hideous strength and the abolition of man and how this dystopian outcome of abandoning truth was prophesied by C.S. Lewis not that long ago. Uh, the dystopian power, bloodthirsty power that comes from stepping away from truth, abolishing man, abolishing the Imago Dei, because you killed Dei, you killed God, you killed the deity that created our very ability to have these conversations that we're having right now. Uh, David Horowitz predict, uh, predicted all of this stuff too. David Horowitz is still alive. You see him on talk radio, excuse me, well, you hear him on talk radio, you see him on um, television news every once in a while. I think CNN even still has him on periodically as a conservative response to some of the news of the day. Well, Horowitz was a leftist, as I've told you before. He actually was the intellectual uh, power behind the curtain for the Black Panthers back in the 60s, and he converted from that radical leftism to, to conservatism. Why? Because of what he calls left illusions. That's his intellectual autobiography, where he talks about the rule of the gang being the final outcome of abandoning truth, and that that frightened him when he realized that that was the worldview he was promoting. That was the worldview he was lobbying for, the rule of the gang, that the gang, gang excuse me, the gang would be the final arbiter of all debate, all discussion. The gang would be what determined um, what you could say and what I could say, where you could go and where I could go. The gang would determine all of that. Well, the gang never really does it unless someone within the gang rises up as the tyrant. So you're either going to be ruled within the boundaries of truth and have a lot of freedom within the boundaries that are set by natural law, common sense. The Tao is what C.S. Lewis calls it. The truth of God written on every human heart is what the Apostle Paul calls it. You will live within those boundaries and have a great deal of freedom, or you will live within the boundaries of the gang. And that's a place where you have no freedom. You will submit, you will comply, or you will walk to the guillotine. And that's not an exaggeration. Look at the history of the French Revolution. Look at the history of Nazism, the German Socialist Party. Look at the history of communism in Russia in Red China, in Cambodia, in Vietnam, in Cuba, in North Korea. This is the nature of the worldview that still is alive and well. And people are actually arguing it should be the system of the United States right now. And the end result of all of this is predictable. It's, it's proven time and time again throughout the course of human history. And as Santayana said, he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. And what's the lesson here? Is that when you dethrone truth, you're going to elevate a tyrant, a tyrant into the seat of power. And that tyrant will take every ounce of freedom away from you that you currently now enjoy. Truth must be the judge of any debate in any society in any culture. Otherwise, a tyrant will rush in to fill the vacuum. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.